Okay, we are in uh, Genesis chapter 44. Genesis chapter 44. And you will remember that, that his brothers had, had that, that Joseph's brothers had all come down into, uh, into uh, uh, Egypt to get more food. And as they came down to get more food, um, uh, he, he uh, had a feast for them. So the, verse 34 in chapter 43, the last verse of chapter 43 says, He took portions to them from his own table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of the others. So they feasted and they drank freely with him. So remember, they didn't get jealous about, about Benjamin, so they had passed that test. They were not jealous. And so now he's going to test them about whether they would abandon Benjamin as they had abandoned him. And he's also going to test them about their sincerity toward their own father. So that's what he's going to be doing now. And uh, in 34, it says, in verse 34 of the last chapter, it says, they feasted and they drank freely. Remember, they had not, there's a famine in the land. They had not uh, eaten their fill for over two years. And all of a sudden, they feasted. So you can imagine they probably didn't want to get going that, <laughs> that same evening. And uh, the next morning, they have to be woken up to be, to be uh, escorted out, to be told to go on out. So let's pick it up in chapter 44, verse 1. Then he commanded his house steward, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money into the mouth of his sack, and put my cup the silver cup in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph had told him. And as soon as it was light, the men were sent away, they with their donkeys. They had just gone out of the city and were not far off when Joseph said to his house steward, Up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks and which he indeed uses for divination? You have done wrong in doing this. So he overtook them and he spoke these words to them. They said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words at these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks and have brought back to you from the land of Canaan, how then could we have steal silver or gold from your Lord's house. With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die, and we will be my Lord's slaves. So he said, Now let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then they hurried each man, lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack. He searched beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and each man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. Then Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and he was still there, and they fell to the ground before him. Joseph said to him, What is this deed that you have done? Do you not know that such a man as I can indeed practice divination? Judah said, What can we say to my Lord? What can we speak? And how can we justify ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's slaves, both we 
and the one in whom in whose possession the cup has been found. But he said, Far be it from me to do this. The man in whose possession the cup has been found, he shall be my slave. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. So they they are it says in, in, in verse one that Joseph commanded his house steward. So remember, his house steward may well be in on this. His house steward may well be in on this because before he said, I had your money. He again put each man's money into his own sack. It's not the equivalent of the money. It's each man's specific money. Uh, because every region probably had different coins and you'd weigh out the coins, what's gold and what's silver. Each man's own money was put in. So he kept very good track of what the men had gave. The money was put back. And it says that, that as much as they could carry, so much more than they had paid for, he had their, their, their bags filled as much as they could carry. And remember, we had looked over what a pack mule can carry. Uh, these are probably donkeys and not pack mules. But a pack mule, it said, could carry, the U.S. Army used to have them carry 800 pounds. Uh, uh, the, the, uh, the merciful way, it says they were supposed to carry about 440 pounds. Let's so say, that, 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 that's what, uh, um, the laws, the laws have put forth. So say 500 pounds, so one of these animals is carrying. So it's just, they're carrying a lot of food, so they're not moving very fast. And he says, it says, uh, put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, and his money for the grain. And he said, and, and, uh, and that, and he did as Joseph had said. So as soon as it was light, the men were sent on their way, they and their donkeys. So we don't know how many donkeys each man had with them. There were, there were 11 brothers now. And uh, uh, we don't know if they each had one donkey or two donkeys. They're carrying this food back. So they're not moving very fast because there's as much as, as these donkeys could carry is what, what, what's, uh, what's with them. And it says that, that uh, um, they, as soon as it was light, they were sent on their way. So these men were probably pretty heavily, heavily asleep after eating this large meal and drinking freely. It says they drank freely that night, but they're, they're sent on out. And so he sends them forth, and it's just barely light out, and they're going their way. He took his, he had his silver cup put into the, the, the mouth of the sack of the youngest. And you might wonder, this has got to be so wrong. Why would he do such a thing? Well, you know, God allows us to get into certain situations, and we're going to see passages on this where God specifically Himself does things in order to have us examine our own hearts. Because we think that we're pretty good sometimes. We think that we've got it all together. And God drops us into a situation that's absolutely ordained by Him. And He allows things to happen to reveal our own hearts to us. So He sends them on their way. And as soon as they go over way, on their way, Joseph sends out his steward probably with some troops along with him. And they go and they, they, uh, uh, they overtook them. And they, he makes this accusation. And, and they say... Uh, um, how could we have done this? We brought back the former money. Why would we ever do this? So in verse 9, they say, with whomever your servant it is found, let him die, and we will be my Lord's slaves. So you see this confidence in them. And, you know, a lot of times we have this confidence within us where we feel that we're really confident about something, and we really have to be careful about our words. Uh, um, you know, we think we may have it all together. There's a verse in Proverbs, chapter 27, verse 1. Proverbs 27, verse 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do, do not know what a day may bring forth. 
Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. It is amazing how life can turn. Just in an instant, life can turn. And if we think that we've got it all together, life can certainly just turn. And, uh, and, and I, I, I just look again. I mean, I, I'm speaking to a lot of students here, and I, I think of this cancel culture, like we're going to cancel these people. I mean, life can turn in an instant. You, you, whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. You go trying to cancel other people, you yourself will be canceled, and it can turn in an instant against you. These guys were just so confident that, that I've read that in Egypt at this time, a man could proclaim, uh, uh, one who was accused could proclaim his own penalty that would come upon him. And, and uh, the one who was accusing him could accept that or lower it. Uh, uh, could accept that or lower it or raise it. But in, in other words, you see here in verse 10, the, the, the uh, steward that accused him, he said, So he said, Now let it be according to your word. He with whom it is found shall be my slave, and the rest of you shall be innocent. So the spokesman for the brothers, we don't know if it was Judah at this point, just a little further down it's Judah, said, Just let that person die, and the rest of us will, 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 will be your slaves. He says, No, that person will become the slave, the rest of you will go free. So he changed what the penalty was going to be uh, because he was the accuser and he lessened the penalty there. Uh, Then it says, and they hurried, each man lowered his sack and this was well calculated from the oldest to the youngest. How did they know who was the oldest? Because Joseph had revealed that to his steward, that's how they had been seated at the table and this really mystified the guys back in, in, in chapter 43 how they knew this. And he checked from the oldest to the youngest, the youngest in there is this cup. It's not that Joseph practiced divination. He did not. He was a very godly man. He was using this as part of the ploy. We never see him practicing divination. He says, a man such as I can do this. Don't you know that I could if I wanted to? And so so uh, um, it says now in verse, in verse 13, then they tore their clothes and when each man loaded his donkey, they returned to the city. So all of a sudden, life has changed for them. The cup was found in Benjamin's sack. And now everything has changed. You thought you had it all together. You were so confident in yourself. And now everything has changed. It's all changed now. And so they go back into the city. And now we see Judah rise up. Remember, Judah is the fourth brother. So Reuben was first. Reuben had lost his position for sleeping with his stepmother. uh, And his position was lost. And then there was Simeon. And then there was Levi. Those were the two guys that had attacked Shechem and killed all the men in Shechem. And uh, uh, a a really mean thing to have done. And you see how their authority had been lost. And now it's the fourth son, Judah. Judah rises up. We had a whole chapter about Judah. Judah. We read a a whole chapter about Judah and the things that he went through. There was not a single mention about God. Not a single mention about God by by Judah in that entire chapter. But what had happened in that chapter, you would recall, Judah lost two sons. God killed two of his sons. And then he ends up soliciting a prostitute who turns out to be his his daughter-in-law, you know, you, 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 can't, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, it's in the Bible. 
You know, so whatever families go through, whatever the gross things the families go through in life today, it's in the Bible. It is there. And this man went through it. And then he says, you know, she was more righteous than I was because I did not give her my youngest son as I, w- I was told to. If a man loses two sons, it's going to change his demeanor. It's going to change his attitude. And you see that sort of thing happening here. He rises up, and when Judah and his brothers... So you see, Judah is distinguished now among his brothers. And you might recall, Judah was the one who had suggested we sell Joseph into slavery. They were going to let him die in that pit. It says in the pit there was no water, so he was going to die of dehydration in that pit. They were going to let him do that. And Judah says, why don't we just sell him? It was Judah who was the one who initiated the sale of Joseph. Now Judah rises up and he says... It says, Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and he was still there. Why was he still there? Because this is still the early morning. He hasn't yet gone to work for the sale of, 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 the, uh, of the grain to the international parties that are coming in. And they fell to the ground before him. And Joseph said to them, What is this? Joseph said to them, What is this deed that you have done? Do you not know? that such a man as I can indeed practice divination. So it's beyond just a silver cup. He's trying to show to them, you took something that was very valuable. And uh, um, God allows us to enter situations, as we'll see. And then in verse 16, And so Judah said, What can we say to my Lord? What can we speak? And how can we justify ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's slaves. And both we and the one in whose possession the cup has been found. So he changed from kill the one and the rest of us are your slaves. He said, we'll all be your slaves. And then right away, Joseph then declares, no, that's not what it is. He says, far be it from me, the man in whose possession the cup has been found shall be my slave. But as far as you, go in peace to your father. He wanted to see if they were going to abandon Benjamin like they abandoned him. This was another test he was putting upon them. Would they abandon Benjamin? Everything is set up to abandon Benjamin. Would they abandon Benjamin in this? This is a test. But what else is interesting here is in verse 16. is He says, God has found out the iniquity of your servants. This is the first mention by Judah, of God. First mention of any of the other brothers of God. Joseph is always mentioning God. Now, this is a turning point in the life of Judah. This is exactly what his brother was trying to get him to do. You might remember in uh, chapter 42, verse 11, how did the men speak of themselves? How did the brothers speak of themselves? They said, we are the sons of one man, we are honest men. They characterized themselves as honest men. Though 22 years ago, they had sold their brother into slavery. They were characterizing themselves as honest men. And then, and then later on in that, in that same, in that chapter, it says they confessed in, in chapter, chapter 42 verse 21, they were confessing to one another. It's because of the iniquity they had done. They never confessed it beyond themselves. It's only that Joseph understood them because he understood their language, which, which they didn't know. And uh, uh, so it, he says, God has found out the iniquity of your servants. He's not talking about the iniquity of stealing the cup. 
That's not the iniquity he's talking about. He's talking about the iniquity that they've done in their lives. There was no use in, 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 in you know, going through all the details with Joseph. Joseph wasn't asking for that. But he is now confessing, we are getting exactly what we deserve. And God is the one who's in on it. God has found out the iniquity of your servants. You will never, we will never get away with anything in life. We will never get away with it. God is always there. He is always the one that is going to be there. And if we try to, as believers, walk with iniquity in our hearts, there are always things where He's going to be trying to get our attention to remind us that we're not quite what we thought we were. And all of a sudden, He comes and He confesses this. You see what Joseph is doing. He's bringing his brothers to the point of testing them and also to see what was in their own hearts. What was in their own hearts? What's happening in their own lives? Because we don't see it. If somebody just confronts us and says, you did this, you did this. We, we may say, yeah, you know, I've been caught. But is there this internal confession that, yes, this is the iniquity of my own heart? And see the way God operates with people. How he sets us into situations where he's always allowing us to see our own hearts. And then he sees, he, he, he's testing them to see what's going to happen. Are they going to abandon Benjamin? But I, I want to look at another verse here. If you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8, we're going to be spending some time now in Deuteronomy chapter 8. So if you, you would turn there. Uh, and Deuteronomy is, is a book in which, you know, Jesus often quoted, I think he quoted more often from Deuteronomy chapter 8 than any other portion of the Old Testament. So Jesus, again, it is Jesus who verifies the Old Testament. It is Jesus who speaks of this as the utter word of God. He says, if you believed, if you believed Moses, you would have believed in me because Moses wrote of me. So for all these people that think that, 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 uh, um, Moses never wrote the first five books, well, you, you, you can teach Jesus something about that. I mean, Jesus, Jesus said, Moses wrote of me. Jesus testified of this. But let's start reading in, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. So what's the context? God, God himself is speaking to the children of Israel. He's speaking to them, and this is right at the end of their 40 years of trek, where they have lost an entire generation. Everybody over the age of 20 has died, except Caleb and, 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 uh, and, and uh, Joshua and Moses. Everyone else is dead. Now, Aaron, Aaron, died, Aaron may have died at this point, or he, he was going to die. Anybody who was over 20 was going to die. And he says, but he says, 40 years you've been, you've been marching around. He says, you shall remember. You shall. Again, this is a commandment. You shall remember. God commands us to look at our lives. God commands us to do introspection. This is a good thing to take stock of who we are, of what we've done. He says, you shall remember. Remember, the word of God doesn't speak of history. It speaks of remembering. It personalizes history. It says, you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. So God led them. He's starting up front, I've led you. Well, how did I lead you? Here's what he says. That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. How does God lead? 
through the wilderness? Through humbling us. Through humbling us. He says that He might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart. It's not that God had to figure out what was in their hearts. They had to figure it out. It's not that God has to figure out, I wonder what's in His heart. I wonder what's in her heart. God already knows what's there. It's us. It's us. He wants us to know what's in our hearts. What's going on here in our hearts? He allows these things to come so that we understand who we really are. I mean, that's the beautiful thing. You see a man of God, you see a woman of God, and you see them, and and they're so much different than they might be based on their position of the world. They have a very different view of themselves. They know that everything in my life that is good has come because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every good thing I have is because of God's grace. There is nothing that I've attained on my own. Well, I built this company myself. Did you really? And who gave you air to breathe? Who gave you eyes that can see? Who gave you the strength to build that company? Who gave you the, the acuity of mind to build that? This is all... Everything we have is because of the grace of God. He says that He may humble you, testing you. God tests us all the time. Testing you to know what's in your heart. He's testing us to know what's in our heart. Whether we would keep His commandments or not. It says, He humbled you and let you be hungry. He humbled you and let you be hungry. God let us be hungry? God let them be without food? Yeah. Has God let you be without finances at some point in your life? Has God let you be without something? God does this. God let them be without food. That's so cruel. Well, you take that up with God. I think He knows better than we do how to work with people. He's probably better at it than we are. He lets people go hungry to see what's in their heart. He lets us to go without to see what's within us. He says... He says. Uh, um, He humbled you and let you be hungry and He fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know that He might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. So when they had no food they were crying out to God and God fed them by having flakes fall from the sky. So for almost 40 years these flakes would fall daily from the sky Except on the, on, before the Sabbath day, it would fall twice as much. So they'd have enough so they didn't have to gather on the Sabbath day. I mean, this is all God. God drops things in our lives that we wholly do not deserve. He drops things in our lives. He says, that food, I fed you. I fed you miraculously so that you would know it's from me. I mean, I, I look back over my life. I mean, I, I got married at the age of 22. And, and, uh, and Shireen and I, we had very little. I was just a graduate student and, and, uh, uh, we had very little. And I remember every month, and then we started having kids and, and, uh, so in about, about a year and a half after we got married, we started having children. And I remember I was a postdoc, trying to live on a postdoc salary. And I had two little kids. And I was thinking, am I going to be able to get through this month? Am I going to make it? And every time I'd sit down to pay the bills, and it was just enough. It was just enough. I mean, there were times that I had to take my savings bonds, which my parents had given me on my birthday when I was just a kid, 
and I'd have to cash those in. But we had enough. It was just enough. It was just enough. Month after month after month. And as I reflect back, I mean, there were times I wasn't, how are we going to pay? The car would break down. And I think, not again. I mean, my car broke down all the time. And Shireen would laugh because she'd see me walking because the mechanic shop was just about a mile from the house. And so I had AAA because I needed it. And AAA would tow it to the mechanic shop and she would see me walking. <laughs> and she would tell the kids, Dad's car broke down again. You know, there were no cell phones that I could call her and say my car broke down. And, uh, um, and, and you, you know, but God provided. I mean, just again and again. He says, this manna which dropped down, that was from me. The reason you had enough every month was because of me. It was because of me. I dropped that manna on you so that you would learn that man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then he says in verse 4, Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell for these 40 years. Now, you don't notice your clothing not wearing out. You don't notice your feet not swelling. You notice when it wears out and when your feet swell. And you think about it. Yeah, we've been wandering around for 40 years and these clothes are still pretty good. God does all those little things in our lives and we don't notice it because we don't notice that it didn't wear out. All the things that didn't break, all the, the times your house did not catch on fire, all the times that the bad thing didn't happen, all the times that you didn't get in the car accident, that was God. That was God. All the things that you didn't even notice, God was dropping on you. Forty years in the wilderness, I mean, I've seen that wilderness. It is foreboding. It is scary. I mean, you just look at it and you get thirsty. You just wonder, do I have enough water with me? Just just looking at it. And they wandered in that wilderness for 40 years. He didn't let their clothes wear out. And their feet didn't swell. Wandering around for 40 years. All of that, he says, it did all of that. Verse 5, thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. He was disciplining us. He disciplines us. He lets us go through these experiences where we think we got it all together. Oh, nothing will happen to me. I mean, let the man who has the the, the cup, let him die and the rest of us will be your slaves. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. The cup is with us. He lets us... He he lets us see our own selves. I mean, which of us as a parent would not wish for our children to continue to do homework, to continue to have to work in school? I mean, you say, why why, why are you making the kid work so hard? He shouldn't have to learn how to do all that stuff. Why why, why force him to learn? If he doesn't want to learn to read, why should I force him to learn? You know, I I, I don't want to upset his little... No, we force him to learn. You're going to read. You're going to read. This is something you're going to do. You've got to do that. God allows us to go through certain things. It doesn't bother me at all. People say, why do you give students in your class so much work? It's good for them. It's good for them. I'm glad. I give them lots of homework, lots of things to do. I keep them busy. I mean, if if, if young people are not kept busy, they become terrorists. They do bad things. They get in trouble. You keep them busy, they sit in the library all the time, or they sit in a room all the time. They don't have to have time to go out and get in trouble. You give them work to do. And I'm happy to do it because I want them to come out and learn chemistry. I want them to come out and learn these things. This is what he has for us. This is the way Jesus operates. 
This is the way He works. God is so kind to us, so good in every way. And Jesus comes, but He's faithful. He says, I'm disciplining you. He says, your Lord, your God is disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. This is what He does. He disciplines us. Uh, Read in verse 15 of that same chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 15. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water to you out of the rock of flint. <clears throat> he, he could have brought them through, you know, a pleasant place. He could have brought them through the Garden of Eden. But He brought them through that wilderness. It had fiery serpents, so it had snakes all over the place and scorpions and thirsty ground. That's what God does. That's part of Christian life. Don't look at what you're going through and say, what's happening to me? What's happening to me with this pandemic? What's happening to me with my life? I mean, we live in a narrow window of human history where, where crazy things don't, we, we don't worry about, you know, foreign countries coming in and, and, and tearing us to bits and our little village being attacked and overrun. In this place, in this, in this time, we go through things in life because He's refining us. He's testing us. He says, I led you. I led you through the great and terrible witness, wilderness. I led you through that intentionally. If you had made a left turn, it would have been beautiful. I led you to the right. I led you into that difficult situation. God's the one. In the wilderness, verse 16, in the wilderness, He fed you with manna which your fathers did not know, that He might humble you and that you, and that He might test you to do good for you in the end. God tests us to do good for us in the end. He is constantly refining us. This is the goodness of God. This is the goodness of God that He executes upon our life. In Jesus is embodied everything good. But if you think of every, every godly person in the Bible, I mean, the things that they went through. Jeremiah was, was made fun of his whole life, thrown in a pit, I mean, by the king. I mean, it just, just terrible things happened to Jeremiah. You think of what happened to Daniel. Daniel was, was thrown into a lion's den. Daniel was accused by, by many people. Daniel's three friends are thrown into a fire. Paul has spent so much time in prison, from one prison to another. He was in shipwreck multiple times. Isn't one shipwreck enough, Lord? I mean, haven't we been through this before? I mean, did, did I do a bad job before that you wanted to bring me through another shipwreck? And again, he brings him through another shipwreck. He says, I've gone many nights hungry, out in the cold and exposure. I've been in, 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 in fear of robbers. I've been in, in, in threat of, of, of false brethren. I mean, this is the life of believers. This is what he has for us. But in the end, God is so good. And you see, when you walk with God, you just come through this praising him. You come through it praising him. It says, in, let's look at... Uh, um, uh, so then verse 17, Otherwise you may say in your heart, My power and my strength of my hands made this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who is giving you power to make wealth, that He may confirm His covenant He swore to your fathers as it is this day. And it shall come about if you will ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you today that you will surely perish. I testify against you today. If you do not know Jesus, you will surely perish. I know that because the Bible says so. And I urge you to come to the Lord today. If you do not know the Lord, I urge you to come to the Lord today. If you do not know the Lord, please come. I urge you to come to the Lord today. 
walk with him. You know, just two days ago, I found out we worked on a proposal all summer long. Got it beautifully set up to the Department of Energy to turn plastic into graphene. I mean, it's, it's a great idea. And, and uh, we got Ford Motor Company to sign in and put $600,000 toward the effort. We got, we got BASF and a bunch of other companies all lined up. So beautifully done. We got multiple companies and multiple other universities and all the structure done. We, we got, we got uh, uh, money put in from Rice and all these things. And the reviews came back great, great reviews. Then I got a letter in the mail two days ago, not funded. Oh, man. But you know, I just remember over my entire career, God has led me by not getting things funded. And so we've started looking in another area and boom, that, that thing just explodes bigger than anything. This is the story of my life. The story of my life. Writing proposals. You know, you guys may not be able to identify that with this, but I know on the line there's a young, lot, there's several young assistant professors on it. You don't get funded, but just remember, you commit your work to the Lord, your ways will be established. And He leads you into something better. He, and you say, well, well, why did He have to make me write it anyway if He wasn't going to fund? I don't know. Why did He lead you through the wilderness with fiery serpents? I don't know why. To train you, to teach you. So that you would realize that it is God that has put this wealth upon you. It is God that has put these riches upon you. Jesus is so good in every way. He is so good. I urge you, if you do not know the Lord today, come to Him. Come to Him this day. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. For the truth of your word. It is so good. In every way you are good. Blessed be your name, O Lord. Blessed be your name. And Father, Father, I pray for these young people that you give them a heart for you, that as they go through this pandemic and, and the canceling of exams, of, of, of the MCAT exams, or all these other things that they've had to go through, Father, I pray that you would, through this, discipline them all the more and make them stronger. Father, for all the young professors on the line that, are, that, that have felt this pain of, of not getting grants funded, Father, that they would remember that you are leading them through this wilderness, that you have something better for them, that this is part of the disciplining process as a father disciplines his own sons. Father, I pray for your grace, your grace upon these young people. Father, that you would look, at, you, you would look upon us with favor and that we would look toward you knowing that all good things come from your hand in every way. We may not see it in the moment, but in every way. And then, Lord, there's many things that we don't see that is manna from heaven that falls upon us. Many things that we don't see that falls on us that is so good, so much goodness upon us. Lord Jesus, thank you. And Lord, I pray for the unbelievers on this line that they would turn their hearts to you. Oh, Lord, save their souls. Lord, they are perishing. They are absolutely perishing without Jesus. Lord, turn them to you, I pray, so they can, they can experience this love. And Lord, I commit this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.